by the name of Aaron. He was the brother of Moses. Now, the reason it's important to us to note that he was the high priest is because the book of Hebrews lets us know that Jesus is our high priest. It uses the same title for Jesus. Now, granted, it's kind of a different lineage of priests. But there is so much, and I would encourage you to maybe do this at some point. As we move through Leviticus, if you were to then on your own pick up the book of Hebrews, you would see a lot of parallels happening between those two books. Because Aaron is the Old Testament high priest, Jesus is our high priest. But the other reason we're looking at this together today, and we saw it beginning last week in Leviticus chapter 6, is because um, the book of Leviticus isn't just about the high priest, it is about all of the priests. And while Jesus serves as our high priest, the New Testament makes clear in a couple of passages that you and I are priests. Now, because of the world that we've grown up in, it's a little bit hard for us to separate um, maybe the church persuasion that we grew up in and the priests there from us being priests. And what I mean is this. The priests that we grew up with, some of us, were men who were not married, and, and they were um, married to the church in a way or married to Jesus. They didn't have kids and so on and so forth. And so when we talk about us being New Testament priests, maybe that's a little bit hard for some of us because maybe we're not men and maybe we're, we are married and we have children. But please understand that that, that priesthood that in that church persuasion that some of us may have grown up in is not something necessarily that was ordained by the Lord. And so we have to understand that as New Testament priests, it's okay to be a woman. It's okay to be married. It's okay to have kids. All that the priesthood is in the Bible, and I don't mean all like, oh, this is unimportant, but all that it is, it can be summed up like this. The priests were God's representatives to the people and the people's representative to God. Now, can you see how that's true for us too? That you and I in this world we live in are God's representative to the people around us, be they believers or unbelievers. But we also are the people's representative to God. How many of you in your walks with the Lord that other people have been aware of have had somebody come to you and ask you to pray for them? How many have had that happen before? Yeah, most of us. See, that's one of the roles of the priests. God's, excuse me, the people's representative to God. And so when we have somebody approach us and say, hey, could you pray for me for this? There's nothing wrong with doing that. That's part of fulfilling that role that we have. Now, it also would be beneficial if you said to that person, you know what? I will pray for you, but right now, can I also pray with you? And there's just some power in that that, that shows that person, you know, you're, you're not holier than them, um, you know, in, in your own works. You don't somehow go to some special room that you have set aside in your house and, you know, pray in King James English for everyone who's come to you and asked for a prayer. You can lay your hand on somebody's shoulder in that moment and pray with them. Or before you get off the phone with them, pray with them. And, and that will carry so much meaning um, for the person that you're talking to. So here in Leviticus chapter 8, now you ho hopefully understand a little bit better how we're kind of approaching this book of the Bible for ourselves. Leviticus chapter 8 is the first chapter in the book of Leviticus where somebody does something. I told you that last week. From, from chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 8, verse 4, it's just Moses listening 
to God. And interestingly enough, the whole idea of listening is going to come into play for us this morning. So the first seven and a little bit, few, few verses after that, chapters, are all Moses listening to the Lord. It isn't until we get to chapter 8, verse 4, that we read that Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was gathered at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now, we're not going to cover all that because we covered some of that on Wednesday night, but I just wanted you to see that now for the first time in the book of Leviticus, somebody moves, somebody, you know, does something, somebody, and so here's what Moses does. He gets the entire congregation of the nation of Israel, maybe two million of them, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less, and he gathers them all together in one spot at the door of the tabernacle. He gathers the entire congregation together. Now, the reason that they're all getting together isn't because Moses is going to say something. It's because Moses is going to do something. What we're looking at here in Leviticus chapter 8, and we'll call it this because I think we might understand it better, Aaron is being installed or ordained as the first priest, high priest, of the congregation of Israel. So maybe you've been before in, in, uh, in your lives, in your church life, maybe you've been to a church that has brought on a new pastor. That's not the kind of thing that gets done behind closed doors, right? You don't show up at church next Sunday and hear an announcement, hey, by the way, we have a brand new pastor. You've never met him before, never seen him before. Here he is. Would you please walk? No, it doesn't work that way, all right? It's supposed to be a public thing. It's supposed to be something that the, that the lives of the congregation are also involved in. And that's what we're seeing here. Aaron as the high priest, his sons as the other priests, all being brought to, before the congregation. And, and maybe on your own, you can, we're going to actually be picking up all the way down in verse 22 in just a moment. But before verse 22, what, what Moses has Aaron and his sons doing first is confessing their sin, laying their hands on, on an animal that is about to be sacrificed as a sin offering for Aaron and his sons. Now, can you think with me why that would be hugely important to the congregation as they witness this? It does well in helping the congregation not put Aaron on a pedestal, not put his sons on a pedestal, as they see Aaron doing what they're going to have to do, what they already do have to do, and that's confess their sins. In other words, it does the congregation well to know that the pastor is just a man to know that Aaron as the priest is just a man. Nobody special. And yes, I realize I'm talking about myself. That kind of makes it weird. I'm nobody special. And, and uh, I'm not sure. I was starting to feel bad about myself for a moment there. But, but pastors should not be put on pedestals. The priest should not be put on pedestals. There's, there's no reason why we should not look at spiritual leadership first and foremost as just regular people. I get a kick sometimes out of bumping into somebody from the church. Like, not too long ago, I was at a restaurant, and uh, I was there, and somebody who was fairly new to the church came by, and they they sat near me, and when I sat down next to them to chit-chat with them for a minute, they were like, what are you doing here? Like, like you don't belong here. Like, you belong at church. You don't go to restaurants. You're a pastor. And I felt like saying, look at me. Of course I go to restaurants, right? just a normal person but sometimes we do that in our minds and sometimes our church background you know tends to have us do that more but it's very true that we understand and that the congregation understands wow look at Aaron 
he is confessing his sin. Now, that not only lets me know that that whole sin confession thing is valid, but it also lets me know this. I think now that I can go to Aaron because I think that he's a man just like me or a person just like me, and I think I can go to Aaron and his sons and talk to them about struggles in my life because they have struggles in their own life. And that's true, too. That's all part of what we're seeing here. So it's that, that's part of the importance of the whole congregation being gathered together. All of that is kind of sort of background for verse 22. We're jumping into the middle of this ordination ceremony, this, the middle of the installation. And in verse 22, it says, talking about Moses, it says he brought the second ram, the ram of consecration, or some of your Bibles may actually say the ram of ordination. It says, then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and Moses killed it. Also, he took some of its blood, and he put it on the tip of Aaron's right ear, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Then he brought Aaron's sons, and Moses put some of the blood on the tips of their right ears, on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. And Moses sprinkled the blood all around on the altar. So a very visible, very physical thing going on here. This isn't just Moses praying over Aaron and his sons the way that very often happens in pastoral installations and ordinations today. Not that there's anything wrong with that, of course, but this here is, is very symbolic. Here, here Moses takes the blood of the offering the offering that has just been offered for Aaron and his sons, and he takes some of the blood and he puts it on the right ear and the right thumb of the right hand and the right big toe of the right foot of Aaron. So that what, we'll sum it up this way, then we'll unpack it a little bit, okay? So that what Aaron hears is covered by the blood. What Aaron does is covered by the blood. And where Aaron goes is covered by the blood. Do you see where I got that from? Ear, hearing, hand, doing, foot, going. All right? Now, it is not uncommon, now that I'm old, and uh, getting older, I should, I'm not old, I don't think of myself that way, but I'm getting older, it's not uncommon for my wife to ask me about my hearing. Have you guys experienced this in your marriages? Yes? Yeah, right, right. And, and, um, but she never, what she says to me is, um, is uh, how are you hearing? When I was younger, the question that I would get, not so much from my wife, but maybe from my parents was, what are you listening to? That's a valid question, right? That's a valid question for us to ask ourselves today. That's not the question we're after, as we'll see in a minute. But it's a valid question for us to kind of think of ourselves today and say, you know what? What am I listening to? And I don't mean like, you know... Uh, just music. Although you and I both know that there are messages that come through in music that are the exact opposite of God's message to us in his word. Are you aware of that? I hope you are aware of that. And I, and I know that even as sometimes as we get older, you know, we have songs that we like to rock out to or can you guys picture me rocking out to anything? No, me either. And, uh, or whatever the case may be. But, but it's a valid question to ask ourselves as we're seeking to grow in our relationship with the Lord, what am I listening to? Valid question. But that's a question we typically got from our moms and our dads when we were younger. 
an equally valid question is, is uh, well, I guess, how, how is your hearing? You know, that's the one I get from my wife. How's, how's your hearing? What? You know, kind of. Um, but here's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 15. Uh, no, excuse me. In Luke chapter 8, verse uh, 15, Jesus says, be careful how you hear. Now, what we want to do with that is say, oh, what he means is be careful what you hear. You know, not just in music, but are you surrounding yourself with people who are gossiping? Are you surrounding yourself with people who are negative Nancys and negative Nellies and they just have a way of working, what they say has a way of, of affecting you and getting you down? But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus, says, Jesus didn't say be careful what you hear. Jesus said be careful how you hear. There is something about our hearing that we need to be aware of beyond the physical, of course, we're talking at this point. There is something about the way, uh, about how we spiritually hear. So I real, real quickly want to bring you to three New Testament passages. The first one is in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. Matthew 13. So the first book of the New Testament, find your way there, turn those pages. That's a beautiful sound. Turning pages as we find our way there. You can see it for yourself. That way you know I'm not making it up or twisting scripture or anything like that. Wasn't there like a, some kind of a rock band back in the 80s called Twisted Scripture? Oh, no, that was Twisted Sister. That's right. That's right. Sorry, I got that messed up there. So. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> right. Right. Here in Matthew chapter 13, look with me at verse 16 and 17 of Matthew 13. Matthew 13, verses 16 and 17. Jesus speaking here says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. I want you to understand what Jesus is saying there. Jesus tells his disciples who are gathered around him at that time, you guys have something that the Old Testament prophets and that the Old Testament righteous man never got to experience. And if you think about it, he's right. The Old Testament prophets never saw Jesus walk the earth. They never heard words come from the mouth of a physical man, God incarnate. They heard the words of the Lord. They heard the voice of God even audibly in some cases. But that was, that was different. That was kind of coming from heaven to them. They didn't walk with Jesus. They didn't talk with Jesus. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, guys, don't miss this. The stuff that you're seeing now with your eyes, the prophets wish they could have seen. The stuff that you're hearing now with your ears, the prophets and the righteous men of old wished they could have heard. And I bring us to that verse this morning because as blessed as the disciples were to walk with Jesus and to talk with Jesus and to see him with their own eyes and to hear him with their own ears, I want to tell you today that we're even more blessed than them because we have the Old Testament and we have the entire New Testament. We sometimes think, oh man, it would have been so awesome to physically walk and talk with Jesus. And that would have been awesome and amazing. But if we had done that, and if we were back then and not now, we wouldn't have been aware of how the book ends. We wouldn't have been aware of the last chapter, of the last verse of the book of Revelation. We wouldn't have been aware of those last chapters where, where 
the victory to top all victories takes place, and new heaven and new earth and all of those things. So that's why you and I need to look at ourselves today as it being extremely blessed, of course, more blessed than Jeremiah and Isaiah and some of the prophets, but even more blessed than guys like Peter and John and James and Paul, who were there and they walked with Jesus, but they didn't have the completed Bible, if you will, the way that we do now. And so when it comes to, to hearing, the ones who are in the prime position to hear everything that God has ever said is you and I as we sit here today. So how important is it how we hear? Turn with me to Luke chapter 8. Two books after Matthew. Matthew, then Mark, then Luke. Here in Luke chapter 8, I want you to take a look with me at verse 15. Luke chapter 8, verse 15. This is coming on the tail end of Jesus' explanation of the parable of the sower, or the parable of the soil, or the parable of the heart. Some people look at that differently. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 8, verse 15. The ones that fell on the good ground, the seed that fell on the good ground, are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it... And bear fruit with patience. Do you see it there? This doesn't just say, hey, the ones who, um, the ones that fell on the good ground are those who have heard the word with a noble and good heart. The verse doesn't stop there. It says that if you and I are really listening to the word of the Lord and the voice of the Lord through his word, we are hearing it, but we are also keeping it. And as we keep it, something happens in our lives. It's mentioned there at the end of that verse. We begin to bear fruit. So again, I can bring this back to, to an examination of my own life, and you can do the same with your own life and say, okay, how am I hearing? Am I really hearing the voice of the Lord? Am I really connecting with God through his word? And, and the, the way to figure out the answer to that isn't just, well, yeah, I think I'm hearing. But are you keeping, are you holding on to what you're hearing? And the evidence of keeping or holding on to what you're hearing is the display of fruit in your life. So you can kind of work it backwards. If I'm not displaying God's fruit in my life, it could be a sign that I'm not keeping the word of God. And if I'm not keeping the word of God, it's either because I'm not hearing from him or I'm hearing him the way that sometimes I'm guilty of hearing other people which is this, you finish this phrase, in one ear, see, you guys know that, because we've practiced that before, maybe not even intentionally, but okay, sometimes intentionally, but, but usually not, and something goes in one ear and right out the other, and sometimes, if we're not bearing fruit in our lives, it's, it's because we're not keeping holding on to, that whatever God has to say to us is going right in one ear and right out the other. If we're not bearing fruit in our lives, that is one possible thing that's going on. Here it says if we hear the Lord and we hold on to what we hear, fruit will show up in our lives. Let me bring you to one more place. This time it's the book of Hebrews that I mentioned before. We're not going here 
necessarily anything having to do with the priesthood directly. But Hebrews, now near the back of your Bible, you've got to go quite a ways back. If you get to Revelation, that's the last book. You've gone too far. So you've got to come back before that. There's some shorter books in there, shorter letters in there, and then you get to Hebrews. And please open to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, just this one verse gives us another reason to check how we are hearing the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 1. The writer to the Hebrews says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Want to guard yourselves against drifting away? Check how you're hearing the Lord. And in fact, it says in there, we need to give more earnest heed. Probably some of the other versions of the Bible, maybe a little bit more modern, say we need to pay more attention in the days we live in to how we are hearing from the Lord. So we hear the Lord. Are we keeping what we're hearing? Is that bearing fruit in our lives? And part of the importance of that is simply it's important as we grow to be bearing fruit in our lives. But the other part of important. The other important part of how we're hearing from the Lord is simply that it guards us against drifting away from the Lord. Stop hearing the the Lord, and at some point you will drift away. Stop keeping what you're hearing from the Lord, and at some point not only will you stop bearing fruit, but you will also drift away. And you may still be coming to church, but not be hearing from the Lord or not be keeping what you're hearing, or not really be bearing fruit. And church becomes for you about attendance. I'm here, aren't I? Well, that doesn't fly with your kids, does it? That doesn't fly in the classroom. That doesn't fly in the workplace if you said to your boss, well, I'm here, aren't I? Well, it shouldn't fly with the Lord either, and it doesn't. And it's a sign that we are headed down a dangerous slope if we don't think about how we're hearing. Not just what we're hearing, but how we're hearing. Covered by the blood of the Lamb. That's the good part about it. (laughs) If we have that realization today, oh my goodness, I have not been hearing very well lately, not physically, but I have not been keeping what I've been hearing. Um, There's less fruit in my life because of it, and maybe even I'm beginning to drift away. Listen, you can have your spiritual ears covered by the blood of covered by the shed blood of the sacrifice, covered by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can say today, Lord, I simply need my, my hearing from you is not right. And, and God will say, you know what? Right here, right now, let's make that right. You can do that before we leave here today. But not only back in Leviticus chapter 8, not only does the blood get put on the tip of Aaron's right ear, it also gets put on his hand. Well, this is an easy one as well, right? That, that you and I need to make sure and be checking that the things that we are doing with our hands are things that God would be pleased by. The things that, that if, we, if what we're doing, if, if who we are and what we're doing really is covered by the blood of the Lamb, are we doing the things that Jesus would do? Now, you guys all know the story from those bracelets years ago. From the, that, I think it was a, a group of students out in Idaho, if I remember correctly, who came up with that phrase, what would Jesus do? And that got put on bracelets and T-shirts and everybody would, but you don't hear about it anymore so much, right? It was kind of like this Christian fad thing that came in and, came, and then went out. 
Now, the danger with that is that was a very good question to ask ourselves. And have we, as we've put our bracelets away or have we've looked at them and they've, we've been wearing them so long they're green and we didn't buy them and they were green. They've just been on our hands so long we get rid of them. And we, are we still asking ourselves that question? That question. What would Jesus do? I'm about to do this, but I'm a believer. I'm a born-again Christian. I've been covered in the blood of the Lamb. Is this something that Jesus would be doing? And, and, and of course, behind that, we could get into checking our attitudes behind doing what we're doing and, and, and our reasoning for it and things of that nature. But we'll just leave it like that for now, just to say that you and I need to do what that old little kid song says. Remember the old little kid song that says, careful little ears what you hear be careful little eyes what you see and I know I'm mixing up the verse but you understand be careful little hands what you do was one of those we are God's representatives to believers and unbelievers alike on the earth are the things we're doing showing that or are our hands involved in some of the same things same exact things on the same screens, in the same places, with the same people that we were doing before we knew Jesus. And we've somehow reasoned in our minds that that's somehow okay. No, we've been blood-bought for a reason, for a purpose. And we are to be representing the Lord to our brothers and sisters in Christ and to a world that is perishing. The things that we're doing covered with the blood. That's the way it's supposed to be. And so we can examine ourselves that way as well. And then the last one, of course, you guys have probably already made the connection now in your mind. Ear for hearing, hand for doing, feet for going. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4. Smack in the middle of your Bibles is probably the book of Psalms. And Proverbs is right after that. Here in Proverbs chapter 4, We're going to look at the last two verses of this Prover- of uh, Proverbs 4. Last two verses of Proverbs 4. Here's what it says. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot. I especially like how that begins there in verse 26, don't you? Ponder the path of your feet. Think about where it is that you are going. Maybe it's your reason for going there, or maybe you think, need to think about whether you should be going there or not. Is that relationship one you should be having? Is that thing that you're about to do with your hands but your feet are bringing there something you should be doing even somewhere where you should be going? And sometimes we reason in our minds, I know that, you know, well, I can go there and be strong. I can go, I can still go there and I just won't do what I used to do when I went there. I'll just go there and I'm going to be the strong one. I'm going to be the light. I'm going to be the, that's, many in this room from personal experience can tell you that's not, not, not the way it usually works out. So we need to take the time to ponder the path of our feet. Make sure that the places that we are going are places that Jesus would go with the motivation that Jesus would go there with. 
if they are, if we can say, yes, I would go there, Jesus would go there, I'm going for the same reason that Jesus would go, then we can say, okay, now my steps, my footsteps are covered by the blood. I can honestly say that. Now the things I'm about to do are covered by the blood because I've kind of run it through that. I've taken the time to ponder and think about it and not go rushing into things. That doesn't just happen with our kids. That, doesn't just, that didn't just happen in our lives when we were teenagers. I bet there's some adults in this room who did not ponder their steps and rush into something only afterwards to regret doing so. Rushing into a business deal that they didn't ponder, they didn't think about it, they didn't think it through. Rushing into a relationship that, that they shouldn't have. Rushing it into a financial obligation that now is like a, uh, uh, what's that A word? Albatross. Is that the right word? El- well, we'll use it anyway. So look it up later, I guess. Um, like an albatross hanging over us. And so we're seeing here back in Leviticus chapter 8, even with even, even as this is happening before the whole congregation, the message is happening to Aaron, it's happening to his sons, but the message is going out to the whole congregation. This isn't just for Aaron and his sons to watch how they hear. This isn't just for the spiritual leadership of the congregation to be watching what they do and pondering their steps. This is for everybody. Because before Aaron and his sons were priests, they were a part of the congregation. That's how I look at being a pastor. I don't like being called pastor by... um, How do I want to put this? I don't like being called pastor, first of all, by people who aren't from this church. Because I'm not their pastor. I'm I'm your pastor. And so I I get a kick sometimes. I'll, I'll bump into you at the grocery store, and then you bump into somebody you know. And I love it at times because you don't know how to introduce me. And it's kind of funny to watch you squirm a little bit because you know that I'm your pastor, but so you're like, well, this is my Don. I'm your Don? That sounds very Italian, doesn't it? Your Don, don't mess with the family. Never mind. Um, uh, so, so I have no problem just, this is Don. I'm perfectly fine with that. No, no reverend, you know, no, if you want to call me like, you know, Pope so-and-so, that's, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm not everybody's pastor. And even though I'm your pastor, before I was your pastor, I was just a sheep in the flock. And I still am a sheep in the flock. Dana, praying earlier, mentioned that, you know, we pray for Don as our shepherd. I'm not your shepherd. I'm your under-shepherd. I'm under somebody. It's Jesus Christ, the Bible says. This is no offense to Dana. This is, uh, we'll talk about in the elders' meeting. Um, this is, just kidding, just kidding. This, listen, Jesus, the Bible says, is the great shepherd and overseer of our souls. He, listen, he's the senior pastor. Do you understand? He's the senior pastor. I'm just a guy that the Lord has raised up for this flock, this flock only. And, and um, so anyway, I'm your pastor. You can call me pastor here, that's fine. But if you call me Don, that's fine too. Um, if you call me Bob or some other choice names, then we'll have a different conversation. But anyway, um, back in Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 8. This is for the whole congregation to see. Aaron's just a guy. His sons are just guys. They confess sin when we, like we confess sin. 
We can go to them about our struggles because they themselves have their own struggles. They need to make sure, Aaron and his sons do, that how they're hearing is covered by the blood, what they're doing is covered by the blood, where they're going is covered by the blood. The congregation needs to make sure of the same exact thing. And now here in verse um, 25, Moses taking this physical offering that had just been made in verse 25, it says, Then he took the fat and the fat tail, all the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys in their fat, and the right thigh, and from the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened cake, a cake of bread anointed with oil, and one wafer, and put them on the fat and on the right thigh, and he put all these in Aaron's hands and in his son's hands, and waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. And then Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar on the burnt offering. They were consecration offerings for a sweet aroma that was an offering made by fire to the Lord. So I want you to see something in here, and then we're done, okay? So, so Moses here takes parts of this offering that has just been made, this sacrifice that has just given its life for Aaron and his sons, and he takes parts of it along with one wafer, it says there, one bit of unleavened bread, and he puts all of those things in the hands of Aaron and his sons, and they then wave it before the Lord as a wave offering to the Lord, or sometimes it might say a a heave offering to the Lord. That's not because somebody threw up, okay? That's because they're waving it, heaving it up, and waving it before the Lord. What's going on here? Well, it's just another way. This isn't like the wave offering wasn't one of the ones that, that God said, well, you have to do this. This was kind of just an impromptu thing if you wanted to. You could take something in your hands that the Lord had blessed you with, and you could wave it before the Lord that's letting other people around you know God has blessed me with this. And, and that's what's happening here. But rather than getting into the nitty-gritty of, of what that was and, you know, the fatty this and the fatty that and the wafer and all of that, let's just say this. In order for that stuff to fit into the hands of Aaron and his sons, they had to have been empty-handed. And, and that is not something that we typically embrace today, being empty-handed. In fact, we typically look at that as, as a bad thing or as a sign of not being prepared. It used to be in the old days, and, and I don't know if it's still this way, but I, I like it and hope that it is, that um, if somebody invites you over to their house for dinner and they say to you, you don't need to bring anything. We are providing all of the food are you not still going to show up with something, right? You're going to show up with a little floral arrangement for a centerpiece, or you're going to show up with a, a, a box of chocolates covered with caramel. And, yeah, and, and, uh, but you're, you're going to, or you're going to show up with, with a card or, or, or something. You're not going to show up empty-handed because we just don't like that feeling of showing up empty-handed. We want to be prepared. When we go to school the first day of the school year every year, we don't show up with nothing. We show up with every possible thing we think we're going to need. 
We have highlighters in five colors. We have erasers. We have more, you know, we have a dozen sharpened pencils in our backpack. We've probably impaled ourselves on the bus on the way to school because of them. We have a box of, that was a joke. We have a box of 100 Crayola crayons with colors that we will never need or never use. And that's for your freshman year of high school. And No, just kidding. And right when we go to school every year, we want to be prepared. We have backpacks and we have all of these things. And when we start a new job, we want to be prepared. Jeff Newell begins a new job tomorrow. That's a real answer to prayer that he is starting a new job tomorrow. And he's showing me this morning when I first got here, got my new shoes on, breaking my new shoes in, because Jeff wants to go and start his new job tomorrow and be prepared. We like that motto that the, is it the Boy Scouts? Boy Scouts? It's either them or the Army, I couldn't remember. Boy Scouts? Okay. That the Boy Scouts have about being prepared. Some of us even come to church with more things than we are possibly going to need. We, my kids said to me a few weeks ago, we, they, they were, um, they said, uh, oh, such and such a person, everywhere they go, they have a backpack with them. What's in their backpack? I have no idea. It's like a big mystery, and I, there's part of me that kind of really wants to keep it that way. You know what I mean? And, and be, but I think this guy just likes, he just likes being ready, and he just likes being prepared because we are that way. Come empty-handed, no way. And yet, when it comes to approaching the Lord, you know it's perfectly all right to come empty-handed? Because I don't care how much you prepare, how much in advance you think about what you're going to need, and you get that all packed up and then come to the Lord. Most of that stuff is probably going to be useless anyway. I've got to tell you from personal experience. There's times when I've gone into something thinking, Lord, I know what I need for this. And so I'm going to get this, and I'm going to get this, and I'm going to bring this, and I'm going to have this story. I'm going to have this person on speed dial, and I'm going to have this thing. I better carry this with me, and <laughs> might as well have left it all at home. Because when I got there, the Lord was like, okay, you think you're ready? Yeah, I'm ready, Lord. I figured out what you and I, what this is all about, and okay, well, here it is. <laughs> it winds up being something completely different than what I thought it was going to be, and all my preparation was for naught. What was the Lord looking for me? The Lord was looking for me to come to him and say, Lord, I'm coming empty here. Whatever I'm going to need, I need you to place in my hands. Let me show you something in Deuteronomy. Two books after Leviticus. Right? Leviticus? Yeah, two books. Two books after Leviticus. Deuteronomy chapter 8. One of the things I love about the book of Deuteronomy is it's the last book that God gives to Moses before Moses dies. Moses isn't going to have the blessing of leading the congregation into the promised land. But there are things in the book of Deuteronomy that God says to Moses, scenarios that, that God plays out because God is all-knowing. So what I mean is this. I'll give you an example. Um, God at one point says, when you are in the land and you ask for a king so that you can be like all the other nations around you, that king is not to have a lot of wives, a lot of money, or a lot of horses and chariots. Now, please understand, it's difficult for us to, to get this, but try to get this. When God said that, Israel didn't have a king. There was no threat of a king having m many wives, many money. I know that's not proper English. Many money and, and many horses and chariots. That there was no threat of any of that. They were not asking to be like other nations. They were, they were secure and, and felt fine with, with being God's set-apart holy nation. 
But God knew them. And God knew that there would be a time when they were settled in the land and becoming more like the world and desiring to become more like the nations around them that they would be clamoring for a king. It doesn't happen for hundreds of years, but God knew in his foreknowledge that it was going to happen. And Deuteronomy is filled with things like that, and, and that's why I like the book so much. Here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, jump, uh, look at verse 11 with me. We'll kind of get a running start. I want us to focus on, on uh, a later verse, but we'll get a running start in verse 11. It says, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. So he just did it again. I guess I didn't realize it when I was looking at this earlier. He just did it again. What I said before he did with the kings and the horses and the wives and the chariots and money and all of that. He, in verse 11, is telling them to beware not to forget him when things are comfortable. They're not comfortable right now. They're wandering in the wilderness. All of the stuff that he mentions there in, in verse 12, eaten and full, built beautiful houses. They had no beautiful houses. They were living in tents. Their flocks and herds were not multiplying. Their silver and gold was not multiplying. Everything they had was not multiplying. Not yet. So he's giving them a warning about something that's going to happen in the future. And he says when things are going really well for you, and, and you've got money in the bank and a nice house to live in and everything you have is, is multiplying and you're in this beautiful land, a land in other places that it says uh, is flowing with milk and honey, right? He says, when you're there, don't forget about God. Now, there's a part of us that says, well, how could we ever forget God? But remember, very often in the Bible, when it talks about forgetting the Lord, it's not like oh, uh, you forgot about the Lord and somebody said to you, God, and you went, oh yeah, I totally forgot about him. No, no, we can never forget God in that way. But what it does mean is that we set God aside. And isn't the Lord tapping into something that even today is sometimes a struggle? When things are going well and there's money in the bank and our house is, is you know, nice and, or being repaired to make it more nice or, or whatever, and, and, and we've got jobs and we're healthy and all of that, isn't it easy in that moment to set God aside and forget Look what it says in verse um, 18, 17, excuse me. Here's the attitude that accompanies setting God aside. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And then he says in verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. See, the difference is this. 
Moses remembering the day of his ordination, the day of his installation, could have come to God with everything he believed he needed for his walk and his relationship with the Lord. Lord, I've got my copy of the Ten Commandments. I've got my staff. I've got my robe, my garments, my priestly garments, my ephod, my all of these different things, and I am ready. But Moses, excuse me, Aaron on that day needed to not come with everything he thought he needed for his walk with the Lord. He actually was better served by coming empty-handed. Then this isn't going to get in the way. There's no way that Aaron can think, I did this. My power, the work of my hands, my wealth made me who I am today. If he just remembers to come empty-handed. Or at least remembers, as that verse said, that it is God who gives you the power to make the money that you make. You ever thought about that? I mean, that's an awesome God we serve. We can work really hard and be sweating and perspiring and be good at what we do, and, and we can work really, really, really hard, and we still cannot take the credit. We still have to say, it is God who has given me the power and the strength to be able to work this job, to be able to work like this today, to be able to do the things that I've done. I didn't come with my tool belt on, figuratively speaking, of course. I didn't come with my tool belt on. I didn't come all ready and all prepared, hands full of what I thought I needed. No, 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 here's what I did. I set all of those things aside and said, Lord, my hands are empty. And God has Moses put into Aaron's hands. And Moses then takes it, and that or Aaron then takes it, waves it before the Lord. Moses in Leviticus 8 then takes it, and that becomes part of Aaron's offering to the Lord. It's the opposite of this. God, I've got my good reputation. I've got my money. I've got my car. I've got all of these things. Lord, I am ready for what you have for me. And God says, I want you to come empty-handed. Don't count your car, don't count your house, don't count your good deeds, don't count your reputation, don't count anything. You come to me empty-handed, I'm going to begin to bring blessings into your life. What are you going to do with them? I'm going to wave them before the Lord and say, Lord, I want everyone to know these are because of you. And then those things that the Lord has blessed you with become part of your offering to the Lord. Lord, I'm not coming to you because I've got a a nice car. I'm going to come empty-handed. And then the car that you give to me, Lord, the car that you've given me, I'm going to look at that as a blessing from you. And I want other people to know this is from the Lord. This is not because of me. This is not because of my hard work. This is not because of Harbor One Credit Union or whoever banked you. This is because because of you, Lord. And, And I want to offer this back to you. It's amazing how God will use that stuff. We will not be any worse off because of it. And even the material things he blesses us with can become blessings to others. But it's getting to the point where we're willing to come empty-handed because we never like to be caught empty-handed or unprepared, we might say. So that's where we stop together for this morning, talking about really two things. Back to the children's song, oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. Oh, be careful, little feet, what you, where you go. That's not just a song for kids. That's a song for anyone who is one of God's kids. 
for us to be aware of those things in our own life. How am I hearing? What am I doing? Am I pondering my steps before I take them? Can I honestly say that, that you know, I'm, I'm, what I'm hearing or how I'm hearing, what I'm doing, where I'm going is covered by the blood of the Lamb, is covered by the blood of that sacrifice, covered with the blood of Jesus. And then, am I willing to say to the Lord, Lord, I'm going to come empty-handed. There is a, a verse to uh, an old hymn. The old hymn is Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Um, uh, I can't remember the last line. But there is another verse in there that says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. See, if we come to the Lord with everything that we've done, like we're presenting that to him as our wave offering, there's no room left in our hands for what he wants to bless us with and for what he wants us to, to, to bless us with so that we can turn around and, and offer that as a wave offering and, and offer that to the Lord. So some things to think about. Let's pray together this morning.